Today's passage comes from Luke chapter 2, verses 41 to 52. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then as they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances, and when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he had spoken to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. You may be seated. Thank you, Logan. Well, good morning. Please uh, pray with me. Father, we thank you again for the opportunity afforded us uh, that we can gather as your people to worship you, to receive your word, Lord, to fellowship with one another. Father, I pray that you would be with us now as we look at Luke chapter 2. Lord, open our minds and our hearts, not just to understand, but to absorb and live this scripture. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Christmas time is one of my most favorite times of year, and I imagine that uh, that's true for many of you. Uh, I think that I love close to everything about it. I love the music and the decorations and uh, the cookies that people make, although I guess people make cookies all the time, but they taste better at Christmas. And I, I love the things that we do at, at church that are different, and the Christmas Eve service has been a very meaningful uh, part of my spiritual life for a long time. I love the winter weather, although it hasn't been too bad this year, right really up until Christmas. December 26th rolls around and I'm ready for March. But up until that point, I'm usually really excited for snow and other things. But Christmas time is not uh, always good. It's not good for all of us. There are aspects that, that each of us probably don't look forward to. Uh, for many of us, this is you know based in grief and mourning, that there's people that, that won't be uh, at Christmas this year that, that once were, and that's, that's a sad thing. Uh, perhaps some of us, and I, I read that these people exist, some of us actually don't really care for Christmas music, and uh, you know, so I imagine that you don't like the carols and things like that. I don't really know how to help you. Um, so, I'll leave, I guess, I don't know, but... <laughs> it's a mixed bag. Christmas, like life, is in part a good thing and in part a difficult uh, or a trying thing. We don't always get what we want in life, also for Christmas, but in, more broadly in life. 
We don't know where the Lord is in the rush and the hustle of circumstances that we're experiencing. When I was 12, something called the GameCube was released by Nintendo. Some of you may have heard this story before. I wish it wasn't as formative as it is, but here we are. This glorious hunk of purple plastic, if you've never seen one before, was, as the name suggests, an electronic box from which you could play video games. It was the only thing I wanted for Christmas that year, at least as far as I can remember. A week or so before the day, right around 16 years ago uh, today, (laughs) I identified which present under the tree contained the GameCube. And I didn't open it or anything, but, you know, as children do, the careful weighing and measuring of dimensions and heft, you know, of a present and things, you can figure out what's inside. Had a pretty good, the leading theory was that we'd found the box with the GameCube inside, and I was so excited about that that I, in the heat of my ecstasy, I told my parents that I knew which one it was and gloated, and I don't know why I gloated in their generosity, but that's just the kind of a little (laughs) terrible person that I was at that age. And they gave each other knowing looks, and I should have known right then that some kind of holiday mischief was afoot. And Christmas morning dawned, the very first present that I ripped open was what I assumed was the GameCube. But what to my wondering eyes should appear but a Bass Pro catalog. The cover was a smiling old man wearing a poncho and holding a fishing pole. It was the most hideous thing I'd ever seen. I don't know if I would have been more astounded to open that box and find little baby Jesus himself inside. (laughs) Now, I love a good time spent outdoors, and, you know, I like going to Bass Pro. I was just there the other week, but that's Ben now, okay? And Ben then, at 12, Bass Pro offered me nothing. (laughs) And my parents knew it. And it was no comfort at all when my father said, well, Ben, our idea was you could choose any item out of that catalog, and that'll be your gift this Christmas. If I hadn't been on the verge of a breakdown, I would have flipped right to the speedboats and said, I'd like that one, please. (laughs) And brothers and sisters, the tale gets worse. One of my aunts was living with us at the time, and she proceeded to open her first present, and there, nestled lovingly in colored paper, was the GameCube. (laughs) It pains me to say that I ran from the room, (laughs) wept in the bathroom until finally my mother came and told me it was all a joke, it was all a terrible prank that you'll remember for the rest of your life. You You get to have the GameCube, Ben, it's yours. And my dad, of course, videotaped the entire thing, laughing his head off, and I thought about showing that to you this morning, but uh, decided against it. (laughs) They had taken the time to unwrap that present, put it in another box, and then rewrap. Anyway, I just, I still can't get over it. (laughs) This is the third Sunday in Advent. They were just praying and reading for us, the Sunday of love. And that GameCube story actually comes to my mind more often than I'd like to admit. And I consider... Just what a, a, a revelation it was of, of course, I was 12, you know, but still, you know, the revelation of what a little jerk that I was. My loves, my desires, the pull that attracted the compass of my heart was all out of whack. And sometimes I use that episode of the GameCube as a space for prayer, and that might sound weird, but I think about that and I go, Father, 
please, please teach me not to approach life like I approached that Christmas morning. Wrong expectations, arrogance, ingratitude, and inability to rejoice for others. There are many forms and ways that disordered loves make their presence known in our lives. Too many and too high expectations placed on us by loved ones or perhaps placed by us on others that we love. Rage when things don't go our way. Relationships damaged when people don't give us what we want. Our faith can falter for all the wrong reasons. We wanted a GameCube, something that we just knew would fulfill the longings of our hearts, solve all of our problems, and be the best thing ever. But God gives us a Bass Pro catalog, an ordinary, boring circumstance that is actually full of useful things that will help you get on in life. Proverbs 19 says, Desire without knowledge is not good, and whoever makes haste with his feet misses his way. When a man's folly brings his way to ruin, his heart rages against the Lord. We get mad at God for giving us what we need rather than what we want. We stress out and lose sight of him when he is doing exactly what he promised us he would. The Lord isn't in the wrong. It's our loves that have gotten out of order. And this brings us to this morning's single-sentence sermon summary. Jesus desires that we wisely order our loves in him. Jesus desires that we wisely order our love or loves in him. And so we come to Luke chapter 2, verses 40 through 52, which is a, a fun little passage where we get a glimpse of what Jesus was like as a boy. Technically, it's not an Advent passage since Jesus has already come, but I think you'll forgive me for that. Also, if you notice, as Logan read it, the word love never actually appears in the passage, but I think that uh, Jesus is acting out of a rightly ordered wisely ordered love, and I think he has something to teach us, uh, teach me at least, from the story. Jesus, 12 years old, the age that I was when I craved the GameCube, is now emerging from childhood into adult responsibility, according to the Jewish reckoning of such things. It's hard for us to think of 12-year-olds or 13-year-olds as adults, but the world was different then, and that's what they did. Mary and Joseph likely took him with them to Jerusalem for Passover every year, but this year is different. It's an interesting question to ask, when did Jesus know that it was different? Or how did he know that that was the year? It's impossible to say, of course, but Luke does tell us in verse 40 that the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Jesus, we see from this young age, is filled with wisdom. He knew what he was about. He didn't get left at the temple by accident. The family leaves, and Mary and Joseph assume that Jesus is somewhere else in the caravan. But after a day, they realize that he's not there. And those of us who are parents can well imagine the terror that would rise in their hearts. How quickly the warm glow of a national holiday would collapse into a pit of dread. And after three days of turning out all the cupboards and beating all the bushes in Jerusalem, they find Jesus back where Luke's telling of the gospel began, at the temple. And the boy Jesus has been holding court with the greatest theologians in the country, blowing their minds with his understanding and his answers. They're astounded and astonished at this young man's understanding and wisdom. And Mary, 
I imagine, stampedes right through their thoughtful, you know, interpretation circle and gathers the boy up in her arms and goes, son, why have you treated us like this? Behold, I love that she says, behold, behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. You're not following our script, Jesus, and it's very upsetting. And Jesus is surprised at their reaction. Well, why are you looking for me? Didn't you know where I would be? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Luke tells us that Joseph and Mary hadn't the faintest clue what he meant by that. And I think probably ignoring the protests of the the theologians around them, they grabbed Jesus and took him home to Nazareth. And Mary kept this story close to her heart and was likely who Luke heard it from. And Jesus grew up as an obedient son, if a little odd and occasionally confusing, and continued to grow in wisdom, stature, and favor with everybody. Jesus eventually found the limits of the favor of men, but we'll get to that in a minute. And the story, I think, is a story about wisdom. I mean, it's about many things, but I think it's about wisdom. The wisdom of Jesus, and in his wisdom, his rightly ordered love. If you pay attention to it, there are several characters here, but there's really only two reactions. Jesus responds with understanding. His parents, the religious leaders, respond with astonishment, amazement, confusion. And Luke begins and ends the story with Jesus' wisdom. He is filled with wisdom in verse 40 and increased in wisdom in verse 51. Jesus has wisdom while everybody else has no idea what he's talking about. Jesus understood, even at that early age, that his life would be different from the other boys in Nazareth. Samuel, Chronicles, Zechariah, other New Testament witnesses connect the Messiah to the temple. The Messiah will build the true temple. He will cleanse it. He will open it. He will restore the right worship of God. Jesus understands this. He gets it. Where else would he be than in his father's house? In his wisdom, we see that Jesus understood the true ordering of love. He was not being disrespectful to Mary and Joseph. I imagine they felt like he was being disrespectful to them. Because he understood that his first duty, his first allegiance, his first love was to his heavenly father. And that this was of greater importance than his allegiance and obedience to his earthly parents. Jesus' wisdom is that he loves God more than his father and mother. And that doesn't mean he doesn't love his father and mother, right? He returns to Nazareth. He obeys them. We see him interacting with Mary later on in the story. But he does love his father more than anything else. To be wise, I think in one way we could define what that is, to be wise is to live with well-ordered love. And another way to say that is that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Paul says in 1 Corinthians that Christ is the wisdom of God. And we see throughout Scripture the truth that Jesus is teaching and telling us here in Luke 2. That we are created for God. That he deserves our highest allegiance and first love. More than that, our love for everything else will be broken, wrong, disordered if he is not First, I have no good apart from you, David says in Psalm 16. 
In these verses, we see several orders of love. Mary and Joseph made the journey to Jerusalem every year, which testifies to a love for the Lord and devotion on their part. They panicked when they realized that Jesus was not with them. They love their son. They love him to the point of misunderstanding him, but they love him. The religious leaders sat spellbound with Jesus for three days. Now, I imagine that they like, got up and ate and slept, but perhaps not. Perhaps they sat there for three days talking with him just because they couldn't believe it. They loved the give and take of discussion and interpretation. But they all lack wisdom. Their love is disordered. Jesus encountered disordered love countless times throughout his life. When he told the disciples that he would die, Peter rebuked him and said that such a thing would never happen. You don't know what you're talking about, Jesus. People crowded around him constantly, wanting bread, wanting a real king, wanting Jesus to do another magic trick. At the end of his life, these same religious leaders, maybe not all the same, but I imagine a few of them were around uh, when they met him as a 12-year-old. He meets these religious leaders again during another Passover, and once again, they put questions to him. Are you the son of God? And his answers once again astounded them, so much so that they roared for his death. They couldn't see Jesus for what he was. They did not want the gift that God had given them. They wanted a flashy Messiah, someone who would slaughter the Romans and replace their empire with one ruled from Jerusalem. Jesus bore the consequences of his nation's disordered love. He received the judgment due on the sin of all humankind in his own body. And while he did struggle with this the night before he died, as we see in the gospel story, Jesus never questioned how his story would end. The Messiah, the king of the universe that the whole nation of Israel was expecting and watching for, would be revealed in the very last place that anybody would be looking crucified, hanging on a cross between two terrorists. Jesus' disciples were devastated by his death. Some stayed hidden. Others wandered around trying to find a new reason to go on. For three days, we see in Luke 2, Mary and Joseph looked for Jesus. If they had shared his wisdom, they would have known exactly where he was. And for three more days, Peter and John and Mary and the crew of disciples are searching for a reason, a plan in their confusion, confusion and their fear. If they had shared Jesus' wisdom, they would have known exactly where he was. Why do you seek the living among the dead? The angel asks them in the empty tomb. He's not here. He's risen. For us... How often, I think especially during the holidays, do we, allow, do we allow ourselves to be swept away on a tide of disordered love? We forget that our family is not God. It's a little tricky for Jesus' family because their eldest son quite literally was God. But <clears throat> for the rest of us, we forget that our work and our calendars are, are made for us and not the other way around. And after we've wandered out of the Father's house, we become fearful and confused because we can't find Jesus in the noise and rush. Jesus isn't hiding. He's right where he should be. It is your heart that has wandered off. 
And if that's how you feel this morning, and I imagine not all of us do, but I know, again, for some of us, the Christmas season is more of a struggle and a difficulty. If that's how you feel, I think we have good news for you. The Gospel of Luke has good news that Jesus has not and will not leave or forsake you. He comes after his wayward sheep. His desire is that we wisely order our love in him, and he knows that it's a process. Because of Jesus' death and rising again, God has forgiven our sins and granted each of us new life. That doesn't stop us from getting our love out of order, but it does provide plenty of grace for us when we do. But we can trust and rely on the fact that Jesus doesn't get his love out of order. You may find yourself wanting things he will not give or rejecting what he has given. There is grace in prayer by the power of the Holy Spirit for you to tune your heart to God's and wisely order your loves in him. We rightly order our love, and Christians have for 2,000 years, in our worship. This is part of why we gather together. A gathering of the church is a time in which God's people offer themselves anew to the Lord and place him first in our hearts. We don't sing hymns to our parents or our children or our jobs. We don't pray to our plans and ambitions. We don't give money to our fears and anxieties. We don't sit and listen to our own opinions. We come to church and we shut off the lies of the evil one, our own selfish desires, and the stories that the world wants to sell. And we receive the word of God like long sought rain in a desert land. We silence the smartphones and the commercials and the televisions and we focus our souls, if only for a little while, on the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the invitation today for all of us is to share Jesus' wisdom and order our love rightly. And this isn't something that can only be done at Christmas or should only be done at Christmas, but really every week, every day. This is part of what it means to live as a Christian. And I encourage you, take the time next Sunday, today, with the few minutes of service that we have left, at the Christmas Eve service, be there on purpose. Be there intentionally. Offer your heart to God. Ask him for wisdom. Ask him to change your heart to be like Jesus always to be found spending time with the Father. Let's pray. Father, we again thank you for this good day. And, and Lord, this prayer is um, mostly, I think, for myself, um, but for all of us, Lord, I pray that we would wisely order our love in you. Father, for some of us uh, coming to church Sometimes it's good, oftentimes it's a hassle. Lord, I think that you mean it to be that sometimes because it's not about us. It's good for us to remember for a few hours on Sunday morning that we are not the center of the universe. It's good for us to know and remember that there are greater stories at work in the world than just our personal ones. 
Lord, you know each of our hearts. You know what we need. Father, I pray for those of us for whom this season has been difficult and confusing and and not good. Lord, I pray for those of us who really do feel like they've lost sight of you. Father, I pray that they would know, that we would know and be comforted that Jesus has not left us. He has grace and power to change our hearts and to strengthen our hearts so we may follow him through all the chances and turns of life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.